For once in my life, I'm going to be normal. It's a bad start. This week on the Eldritch Lawcast. And I'm just kind of worried that D&D will stop being cool because it's so popular. It's not that popular. We need more toys. Are you a toy collector? No. It's kind of a small mimic. I-M-O. D&D Direct. <laughs> and to just ask the question, is is this good for your game and is it good for the overall hobby? I was hoping for a little bit more. But if you want the authentic D&D experience, this is where you come for true authenticity. All that and more right now. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lawcast, the number one tabletop RPG podcast in all the realms. My name is Ben Byrne, here joined as always by Dale Kingsmill, Sean Merwin, James Hake. And James, I have to ask, aren't you tired of when you're running a monster, looking for a book for the stat block, looking through your notes for the stat block, you know, wouldn't you rather just be able to look at one of your players' T-shirts and get all the rules directly Objection, from there? Objection, you're at a leading question. <laughs> ben, I've often felt this way. In fact, many people are saying this. Well, do I have news that is breaking up until this point for you? Uh, some Instagram account called Shop Culture Fly is uh, touting a collab between the clothing brand Champion and D&D, you are going to feel like a champion fighter in these clothes, let me tell you. I'm looking at these pictures and, like, I'm not usually the kind of guy to get excited by these uh, D&D X brand name sort of clothing collabs, uh, usually because I just don't think they look very good. Uh, and because there are, there are all these very fancy brands putting out clothes that are just like, yeah, okay. But uh, a champion is like a kind of working class sportswear brand here in the states at least and uh they're the best looking dnd branded sweaters and stuff like that i've uh ever seen um so like I- i'm legitimately excited about these these look really, really good and practical as well there's spell lists on here for for druids and wizards you know someone who i know is all about dnd merch sean merwin it's not a car but we're we're gonna print stat blocks on cars in the future. Would could I interest you in a in a pullover? What do they call it in the US? A sweater? Uh, could I interest you in one of those? A sweatshirt. Yeah. There were many, many a day in my college life where I would go to Champion Outlet and get a whole new wardrobe for like ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm down with I'm down with Champion. And hey, if I can kill my players, my char- my player characters faster. <laughs> I uh, have to be careful with the group I play with uh, <laughs> be, because I can see the stat block on uh, on their shirts. Absolutely. Yeah. Sign me up. Now, Dale Kingsmill, you might want to keep some extra like jackets or like a, a, a nighty or a, not a nighty. What am I? A, 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 a um, what do you wear over the top of pajamas? <laughs> uh, uh, what is uh, yeah, a nighty <laughs> uh, or uh, a dressing gown? Uh, Dressing gown, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. You might want to keep a dressing gown around because if you're running an owlbear and suddenly Steve walks in wearing his owlbear shirt, all the players are going to know the stats for the owlbear, but it's going to look sick. Particularly with my dressing gown. <laughs> yeah, okay. How is uh, dressing gown relevant? And then? fashionable. Because you've got to cover it up. If Steve's uh, wearing his owlbear yeah. stats and you're like, here's an owlbear, and I then like, all the players like are just looking at Steve's shirt. I like the combination of like, okay, this is very cool, so I have to wear it, but also I don't want them to see that I'm wearing yeah. it, so yeah, I'll exactly. cover it up. 
<laughs> I now want, want a dressing gown of the Magi. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. For, for Christmas, you can all chip in and get me one that Perfect. raises my caster level. Uh, just letting everybody know, where uh, I'm, I'm going to ask Sean Merwin, did you wear your wizard costume to the D&D movie? I put it on before I left. I combed the hair and the beard to make it perfect. <gasps> Took it off to get with the rest of my day. Then got distracted while we were leaving ah, because there was car problems and problems so with the tickets. And we got 10 minutes away from the house and I had forgotten it. So uh, relatable. So tragic. It, I... I it was do I do I turn around and be twenty minutes late for dinner, or or just go? And I am a I'm an early person. I'm not a late person, as we mentioned earlier. So I had to carry on without the costume. But I was I was torn. We're going to do a spoiler cast after this episode of the Lawcast. So no spoilers in this episode of the Lawcast. Um, if you if you've seen the movie and you want to come back and hear our deep dive thoughts on it, come back in like an hour. We'll stay here now, but hang out with us in an hour and we'll do that. But just for the the regular Lawcast viewers, Sean, what's your like one two sentence review of the of the D and D movie? Non D and D fans can enjoy this action packed, jaunty fantasy romp. And D&D fans can enjoy it for the nods to and the jokes about the game that they love. Love it. Would you recommend? Absolutely. Great fun. A movie from a pre-Marvel era. Chris Pine is the inheritor of Harrison Ford's effortless roguish charm. Okay. Oh, that's a big call. Great fun. Popcorn movie. Bring your kids. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was about to agree with you, but then I was like, no, save it, save it for later. What? Do you recommend, like, do you suggest people go see this movie? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to see it at least two more times. I definitely suggest people go see this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's as deep as a puddle of water. Uh, it's certainly not the Banshees of Inish Aaron or anything like that, but it is a lot of fun. And I was literally crying with laughter in one scene. I would love to see Martin McDonald's take on D&D, though. <laughs> that would be fantastic. It just ends completely unresolved. <laughs> you're just mm -hmm. you're left as a shattered person at the end of it. A week later, we had the D&D Direct, uh, which I think will we'll rapid fire through some of the, the talking points there. But also going on right now is the D&D Creator Summit, which some folks are physically presently at. Uh, we're going to talk more about that probably next week, but there was the Digital Creator Summit, which was happening basically at the same time over the last eight hours. And we have a spy on the inside. <gasps> um, uh, we have someone from Ghostfire who was at or is at that uh, part of the summit. I believe I'm allowed to air uh, the answers to some of the questions that were posed to uh, Wizards of the Coast. So we will get to that in a moment. Let's start with the D&D Direct. Sorry, there's a lot of build-up for this. Um, <laughs> now I just want to talk about that. That's the problem with with this much news is that you, you do a summary at the start and I just want to jump to the most recent thing you said. Go on. That's fair. That's fair. Direct. Well, how does... D&D Minecraft excite you, Dale. Um, I think it's a good idea. 
I very briefly at some point, uh, Colville invited me to an MCDM server of Minecraft and it was the first time I'd ever played. I lost like a week. <laughs> I was uh, like, I kept getting called out when they would find me online at 4am playing Minecraft. Uh, and then suddenly I stopped playing. But I could see myself getting getting dragged back into it. Uh, so I'm not, you know, particularly knowledgeable or skilled when it comes to Minecraftian uh, habits, but I think it's a good fit. I think Mimics are going to be a great addition to Minecraft. Yeah, I'm very much like Dale. I'll play it in very short, very intense bursts. And I haven't played with other like people uh, in quite some time. I played it with... Uh, with at least one other person a lot when I was in college and I played it solo a lot with like last year. I don't know if uh, if it will really hold my interest just like you, Dale, but the, the new coat of paint will be exciting and fun. And um, Minecraft is still just like one of the most popular games for kids uh, out there. Mm. And I think it, channeling some of that creative energy that honestly, even pen and paper D&D uh, ignites in me into creating stuff in Minecraft seems like a great, like, a great marriage of two creative ideas. Yeah, I agree. I think I've seen a couple of like dungeons from adventures. I want to say like Tomb of Annihilation, possibly mm. Lost Minds of Fandelva created in Minecraft, uh, which is kind of cool. And the idea of being able to take players as their little Minecraft avatars through a dungeon that you've built yourself and literally populate it with monsters that they have to fight through while you as the DM are kind of just present there standing in the corner, I don't know, narrating <laughs> something or kind of describing the <laughs> story really as it unfolds. Oh. Yeah, that's I, I, it's almost like the virtual tabletop we actually want is <laughs> 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 because Minecraft is is virtual Legos in a way. Sean, mm-hmm. are, are you are you pro Minecraft D&D? I, I am. I I remember when Minecraft first came out and I thought, okay, I'll check this out. And I played it for about 10 minutes and I thought, this isn't for me. I could see myself getting really into it, hooked into it and not sleeping. So let's just put it down. (laughs) But I have friends with young children who play together with them. Mm. Add to that, choosing a class and rolling D twenties and fighting monsters. And you have the beginnings of a great D and D relationship. That could bloom into something magical, like actually sitting down and playing a real game of D&D. And that's what I'm all about. I want to see more people playing the game we love. And if it takes going through the games that they love to do it, I'm, I'm down with that. A lot of the love of D&D when, when I was getting into it, for a lot of people, not just me, was that there was something kind of countercultural about it. And I'm just kind of worried that D&D will stop being cool because it's so popular. It's not <laughs> that th- popular. This is, there we go. Perfect. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. You've, more you've, popular you've than it's ever been, but I will say, exactly. this is not a spoiler. <laughs> this is not a spoiler, but I will point out that when I went to see the D&D movie again last night, people at the counter were dressed as the characters from the Mario movie that has not been released yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one cared about the D&D movie. So that's where yeah. we're at. We have Perfect. a movie, yeah, no. as long as we're not uncool as nerds as still, I'm so happy. <laughs> my my heart is already breaking for how much Mario is going to trounce the D&D movie because that, oh, that Mario movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, just to clarify, Cosmic Postman mentioned in the chat, I believe having looked closer at the D&D Minecraft announcement, it is like a set 
um, adventure. I think they were saying there's like a hub area where you can shop and kind of it feels like a D&D village and then you go out and do pre-made dungeons. It's meant to be about 10 hours of gameplay from what they were saying. Uh, my hope, I don't know this, but my hope is that they still release, because I don't know how packs with Minecraft tend to work, but they release all the assets that come with that DLC as usable assets when building dungeons, like being able to put a mimic in a dungeon that you're building in base Minecraft if you've downloaded the DLC. That's my hope on I how agree. it works. I but that would be good. Uh, the other thing that they have released is uh, Minecraft Monsters on D&D Beyond. There's a little pack with stat blocks that you can go download right now. You can go claim it, much like you claimed Vecna and the D&D movie magic items, which we kind of glossed over before. Um so that's cool. Go do that. Dale Kingsmill. Don't you just feel like you've got some spare shelf space in your uh, house at the moment that could just really use a beholder floating above it right about now? Sure. Well, have I got the perfect <laughs> thing for you? Because also announced in the D&D Direct with a Hasbro toy line that they're bringing out, uh, which includes... Uh, very detailed, very beautiful looking Xanathar toy, a Displacer Beast, an Owlbear. So we have our new Golden Archive Xanathar, our lore-inspired Owlbear, and then our Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves Displacer Beast. Um, any of these catch anybody's fancy? They look super cool. I just can't justify the cost I, of I collectible toys. I think they toys. look great. I want even more toys. I, I will have suggestions in an hour's time when we're talking about the D&D movie. <laughs> I have suggestions because I think we need more toys. Are you a toy collector? Is anybody here no. like a, a, as opposed to miniatures? <laughs> I probably would not buy them for myself because having too much stuff stresses me out. But I, I will feel sure. comfort in knowing that they exist. I have a few. I have a few collectible figurines, but not a ton. I think I, I would buy a toy of a D&D iconic figure. Uh, if it was one I really liked, but I'm not a collector. That's fair. The Xanathar did catch my eye. When I saw a picture of it, because I didn't watch the D&D Direct at 3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> live, so I was seeing like articles and stuff about it before I saw the actual Direct. The Xanathar did look really cool. Uh, when I thought it was like some sort of special miniature, I was like, I want that. And then I found out it was much larger and likely much more expensive, and I was like, I don't want that. But it still looks super cool. Uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, throwing it over to our Magic the Gathering expert, Dale Kingsmill. Uh, Secret Lair uh, has, <laughs> has been announced. when I'm the MTG expert. <laughs> um, uh, do you still play uh, Magic the Gathering actively at all? I mean, off and on. I've always been like a kitchen table magic person. What does that mean? It means that I play it at the kitchen table. It means that I don't tend to go to like competitions or, right. or necessarily go to my my gaming store to play with strangers. But I have friends and family who also have decks and we will play against each other at the kitchen table. Um, gotcha. And, uh, and so I, you know, come in and out depending on how cool I think a given set is. When they did their werewolf set, I was in. I'm in. They are getting a lot of use out of the artwork that they made for, for the characters from the D&D movie because they're now Magic the Gathering cards. They're the artwork for the stat blocks. They were used for something else. Um, so good on Wizards for that. Uh, I'm just slamming through the, the kind of rapid fire things here. Uh, the Neverwinter MMO. Uh, oh, man. I'm going to challenge myself to pronounce this. I heard it pronounced like three times. Menzo Baranzen. Yeah. You done did it. That's how you pronounce it. Great. Uh, the Neverwinter MMO is getting a Menzo Baranzen expansion, uh, which was originally 
authored or is authored uh, in part by R.A. Salvatore, who is the 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 creator of Drizzt and, uh, as far as I'm aware, Menzo Baranzan. Um, wrapped into that announcement is also that there is uh, an R.A. Salvatore book, part three of Way of the Drow, uh, coming in August this year, uh, which I don't think was a secret because they've been releasing uh, books each August for the last two years, is part three. Is anybody a big MMO and or... R.A. Salvatore fan? No. However, excited for this? <laughs> I recently discovered I was over at my uh, sister-in-law's parents' house uh, this weekend for a big family gathering. And apparently my sister-in-law's dad, who has never once played a game of D&D, who probably would barely even know the phrase Dungeons and Dragons if you said it to him, owns something like 20 Dritz books because he is right. a huge fan of fantasy fiction. And sight unseen, brand unrelated, has fallen in love with the works of Ari Salvatore. And uh, I don't know if he is a strange outlier or indicative of trends that simply go unnoticed to us. But honestly, given the fact that Bob Salvatore's books make it onto New York Times bestseller lists not infrequently, I suspect that's actually the main market of people who read Forgotten Realms books. This was mm. also, I mean, I it, that was probably my favorite part of D&D Direct. I found that the most interesting, the, the little interview with him, because it, it just felt like insightful and like there was so much heart in that section of the thing. Yeah. And I've, I've never read a Drist book in my life. So I don't know. I get it. I get how people could just kind of grab onto that without any connection. Whiz Kids, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They're, they're doing a giant mimic statue uh, that is not functional. Uh, it's just a giant mimic statue. Uh, one of my favourite things that a, a colleague of mine used to say when I was working at EB, when we had the toys on the shelf, um, uh, when a parent would come in and ask, what does this do? My manager would say, whatever it does, it's doing it right now. Uh, that's what this mimic does. Uh, and so does the baby owl bear statue that WizKids kids are also releasing. So cool collectible items. If you like to fill your house with cool collectible I items. I have not been able to get a sense of scale of those things. I, I've been assuming they're big. Are they big? The mimic is 20 inches, I think. I don't have my notes in front of me, but I think it was 20 inches. So tall. It's kind of a small mimic. I M O. <laughs> I've never been eaten by one, so I wouldn't know. I, I assume it's kind of as big as like, and this is going to be a very vague unit of measurement, as big as a stool, you know? Just imagine like a like a stool that you put your feet up on near a couch, and that's as big as the mimic is, I'd guess. Okay, all right. Bit of a lockbox-sized mimic rather than a full-on mm-hmm. treasure chest yeah. size. Maybe yeah. it's a baby mimic. Too. Baby yeah. mimic for the baby owlbear, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you get your baby mimic from WizKids. Uh, apparently, they have broken contamination. Search for this life-sized mimic, which recently escaped containment from the WizKids top secret research facility. Part of the D&D Direct did entertain me as well, I have to admit. It yeah, was, was really was cheesy, but it was kind of funny. <laughs> um, uh, and then just last on the rapid-fire things before we, we have something to really sink our teeth into... Uh, Joe Manganiello uh, bemoaned, apparently, that he didn't uh, have his Dragonlance TV show yet, uh, just kind of slipped that in there to the announcement for some reason. <laughs> Working tirelessly to develop a live-action version of the Dragonlance novels that have never been far from my thoughts throughout all these years since I first read them. But I'm here today... Anyway, here's this documentary that I'm doing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> just strong-arm Netflix or someone into making this series for him. Uh... How excited are we for the D&D documentary, which is coming next year? 
I will watch it. I will see what it says. I don't know how much of a uh, what's the, a homer you know it's going to be in terms of is it just all praising D and D and how great D and D is. And I hope I hope it's like that. I don't need another. Let's talk about all of the TSR infighting and all of the satanic panic and. Let's let's get something out there in the public that shows all the good that D&D does for people. Um, you know, all the lives it's changed for the better by encouraging people to be social and to to you know, engage their imaginations and and do do good things with other people. It's a really fine line to walk, right? Because I can see this easily being just an unwatchable puff piece. But yeah, I don't want another sort of drudge through the dark ages either it would be really cool to see documentary material that talks about uh the things that are going on around DD. but we often talk about on the lorecast how it's hard to do news about DD week to week because usually just product announcements we don't want to just advertise yeah but like my my dad who's a news reporter here in seattle on local radio did a piece on um oh my god i'm, I'm forgetting what they're called now but uh but a duo of clinical psychologists who are using D&D to treat, uh, to help encourage social skills in, uh, in neurodivergent people, autism spectrum people, uh, usually age 15 and younger. And that's such an awesome, cool piece. I would love to see, you know, a five, 10 minute segment on that in the where is D&D going segment of this documentary, if such a thing would even exist. Yeah. I also I, I find it's often um, frustrating if a documentary is being made about something that you love and are interested in and you go to watch it and it it feels a bit like, you know, a, a beginner's class on what is D&D, right? And you spend the majority of, of the documentary covering bases that you've already covered. So I, a lot of it is going to come down to who are the target audience? Are we trying to reach out to new people or are we reaching out to the pre-existing community? And then on top of that, sort of like Sean was saying, you know, is it going to be inward facing, talking about the people who make D&D and sort of the, the timeline and history of that? Or is it going to be about the community and weird little, um, you know, avenues and and uh alcoves within within that community um and you know i have my preferences and other people will have theirs we'll just have to see what direction they go in one thing i will say about uh joe producing this is that joe is really good friends with luke gygax and uh the Gygax family is a rather schismatic one because uh gary gygax's i believe second wife uh his his widow uh is a very schismatic figure. Uh, she did not uh, much like the way that some of Gary's descendants uh, handled uh, his legacy. Uh, and I don't think she's in the right. I don't think that Gail Gygax is, is in the right person. She's very, very protective in, in a way that seems somewhat controlling to me. Um, whereas Luke uh, loves to kind of share and celebrate the things that uh, that his father created and so on and so forth. And I, why, why this is exciting to me is uh, because I think even a sort of beginner level documentary would be very cool if there's a lot of stuff we've never seen before, a lot of artifacts, a lot of stuff from the vault. And I think Joe, uh, you know, by virtue of working with the Gygaxes and with Wizards of the Coast, uh, 
there's a lot of artifacts that can be put on display here. Less than a decade ago, Wizards of the Coast discovered they were doing an inventory of their holdings and discovered that they owned a warehouse in Wisconsin and they did not know what the warehouse was. And uh, they went out to the warehouse in Wisconsin and found that it was a byproduct of their buyout of TSR, uh, which had a lot of lost TSR era merch and stuff in it. Now, I don't exactly know if this is just, you know, stuff that never got sold, uh, if it's like lost product, or if it's like actual manuscripts and things that were, you know, sealed away when TSR folded. But uh, there's kind of a treasure trove hidden out there in the world. If someone wants to do an actual dungeon crawl to the real Tomb of Horrors and uh, heist (laughs) TSR's lost gold. (laughs) See, but that story, that and and the missing map that we covered on an yeah. episode a while back, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that I would love to see talked about in the documentary. I want these yeah. weird little sort of stories, these narratives that pop up in, a, in amongst stuff. That's what I'm interested in seeing. But with that all being said, uh, time to sink our teeth into what I think is probably the biggest news out of the D&D Direct, which is a clearer demonstration of the virtual tabletop which they previewed which is apparently in a pre-alpha state um and the things that they wanted to hit with it they were saying was fun convenience and authenticity which is something that they've apparently repeated during the uh creator summit which is happening right now what did we think of the virtual tabletop the look at it we got so far are we excited for this are we trepidatious about this yes all the above. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. it, it, it's great for the people that want a tool that can do these things. If it enhances their game, if it enhances their enjoyment. I think what a lot of people, when a lot of people look at it, they say, I don't even like to use D&D Beyond on, on, a, on my tablet. I want dice and character sheets and maybe a map and minis, but I want to be able to interact directly with my players and talk with them. And that's what the game is for me. So if we fall in love with these tools, will that eliminate my ability to enjoy the game that I want to play? And it's, it's, you know, it's, there's a little bit of, I don't want the thing I love to change. And we can we can set that aside because that's just anti-progressive nonsense that everyone feels at some point about something. Um, and to just ask the question, is, is this good for your game and is it good for the overall hobby? Maybe the answer is yes, maybe the answer is no. Uh, but also when I hear pre-alpha release, I've been involved in software in the past and I know that pre-alpha release could mean anything. It could mean boy, this is a video that we made using completely different tools and we would love it to look like this. Or it could be, this is actually where we are using the software and we are actually at a beta stage already, but we're going to call this pre-alpha just in case the whole system blows up. Jay Pizza Beats from Twitch chat asks a particularly interesting question. I'm wondering if we'll be able to customize the VTT rule enforcement, like house rule crit mechanics. And, you, you know, there, there was something in the pre-alpha demonstration from d Direct that I think, it, you know, doesn't directly address this, but it gives me actually quite a bit of hope. 
oh, once you get to the end of that, you can't move anymore, because that's not yes. really D&D &D to us. It's like, if your DM's okay with it, and you want to do a flip and land on the table, then that's just how the game gets played. So yeah, I mean, just draw it out however far you want to go, and then you can move, then you'll know exactly how far you want to move. And I think that's such an incredible uh, design philosophy. It seems so simple uh, to, to us D&D &D players. Um, but so many uh, virtual tabletops kind of lock you into 100% uh, rules fidelity, uh, and you have to really jump through hoops in order to change it. I'm quite hopeful that they will kind of make this a tool set that you can use however you want to. It will be interesting to see because we know um, that it has compatibility with D&D &D Beyond that you, you know, click a button and add your character sheet from D&D &D mm -hmm. Beyond to have it translate into the into the VTT. Um, it will be interesting because, you know, uh, people who've created homebrew on D&D Beyond probably know that you can create homebrew subclasses, but not classes, for example. So it, it's, I think it will depend on how deeply homebrewed your stuff is. Um, but yeah, like, like James was saying, I, I also am hopeful based exclusively on that statement about movement that, uh, that they are you know, allowing room for you to do stuff sort of around the edges because uh, I think that is important if they want people to pick it up and, and give it a go. I will say, I I know I know it's early days. I know there's so much more to come. But I was hoping for a little bit more. I was hoping for a little bit, maybe not more. More might be the right, the, the wrong word. I was hoping for something different. I was hoping to see what the edge is that makes you want to choose this virtual tabletop over another one. Because what I saw was, you know, they really emphasized, like I think at some point they specifically said something about the spell animations, for example, which I'm a little wary of because we know from the contracts that we were seeing around the time of the OGL that what they seemed to be trying to do was stopping other virtual tabletops from being able to animate those things. And Therefore, their virtual tabletop would have the edge of having those animations. That that seemed to be the angle they were taking. Now, I'm not seeing from this demonstration a lot that they're bringing to the table that is different from other VTTs, even things that they weren't ready to show yet, like the different lighting or weather systems, like the rain, right? We see those things in the Tailspire uh, beta that we have. We You can change the lighting conditions. You can create fog, things like that. So not seeing that in this VTT demonstration... Uh, while the rest of it visually still looks basically like Tailspire. Um, the one thing I will say, you know, you get that cool animation of the monster sort of digging its way up from underground. That was really cool. So if we're going in the direction of animation, give me more animation. Give me weapon swings. Give me kobolds glancing around nervously. You know what I mean? Tiny little things like that I think would make a big difference uh, for for making this virtual tabletop stand out amongst the crowd. And if I can just say, I don't think the spell animations that we saw in that trailer were particularly impressive. That magic <laughs> missile, the magic missile in particular stands out to me because we have- And a cast magic missile uh, with all of them focused on the Ankeg. Ooh, we're going to put everything in the mod? Something like three illustrations of magic missile being cast in 5e products, and they have a particular look to them. Uh, there's kind of, they're like paper thin, kind of jagged, runic darts that shoot in a straight line. And like there, there is actual sort of history of art being conformed to that. Like um, back in the player's handbook 2014, there's a 
image of Magic Missile being cast. And that artist has a big blog post on the notes they got in the sketch phase for that particular piece of art where they got you know, one of their original sketch had this very cool sort of spiraling spinning pattern as the missiles kind of swerved their way to the target in a magic missile style um, that I really liked. The wizard said, no, no, they will be perfectly straight. They will travel in an, in an unerring straight line. And, you know, that's that's fine. But the magic missiles from the VTT look nothing like the magic missiles in the official D&D art, which is like if you're making an in-house VTT, What's the point if it's not going to look like D&D? That is an interesting thing. There there doesn't seem to be um, a very defined aesthetic direction. The the aesthetic direction seems to be we're going to make it look like minis on a tabletop, um, which is cool, but nothing about it necessarily screams D&D to me. And I would love to see more of that sort of brand stamp on this one. If you're making an official one, Go in. I I agree with a lot of what what you're saying in terms of like the virtual tabletop. The look of it defines the game that you're running a little bit. You know, if you're, I, I'm always trying to encourage players, and I, as the GM, whenever I cast a spell, I'm always trying to describe it in the most imaginative way that I can, um, and 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 ensuring that spells don't have to look exactly as described. Because in the games that I like to run, the way I like to think about magic is that it is more like colours that you're painting with rather than stamps that you're stamping down on a page, if that right. analogy mm-hmm. makes much sense. Like a spell that is not a single DM question. What thing. does your Eldritch Blast look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What does your Eldritch Blast look like, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I have, I have kind of concerns around that. I would say in terms of like what the magic missile looks like specifically being in pre-alpha, maybe they're going to may- maybe tweaking those animations is going to be something that kind of comes into the polish phase of this uh, software later on down the road. So who kn- I-, I wouldn't assume that any of the animations necessarily, especially are final to what they will look like. Um, but I was, I was concerned about the look of four or five friends sitting around a table to play D&D with their laptop screens up, kind of cutting off each other's view of the other person and their hands on their mouse and their focus very much on the screen as opposed to being focused on each other, you know? And and during the demonstration, they show off a little bit of role play and they are making eye contact and they are looking at each other and kind of speaking to each other. But it definitely has the feel of a LAN party in an in-person context than it does necessarily like a board game or a, a game of, of imagination, freeform and imagination and, and D&D. Um, I think as a, as a tool to use for, for folks that are distanced from each other, that are isolated for whatever reason, whether it's geographically or, or some other reason they need to be, I think it's going to be great for, for that. Um, and I do have some answers to some of the questions that you were just positing each other um, based on stuff that was coming out of the Creator Summit digital edition as questions were being hmm. asked about the virtual tabletop. Mm. Again, what was repeated was that the goal of the virtual tabletop uh, is fun, convenience, authenticity, which is a, a, a turn of phrase that I find interesting, uh, and immersion was a fourth kind of uh, thing that they added. They said that they like automation to help speed up things that people don't want to do, improve utility and usability, but they don't want to make a video game. So my impression from what they're saying, we don't want to make a video game, is that they want the tools to be open enough that players can 
funk around with them and kind of uh, uh, bring in house rules and change rulings and all that sort of thing uh, without it being fully, fully automated. Uh, they talked about when the playtest uh, will be available and who will uh, be able to access it later in the year. They said this will be open later in the year. Um, they said initially it'll be open to folks working at Wizards and their friends, so sort of Wizards employees encouraged by the sounds of it to take the virtual tabletop to their home game. Then they're going to look at influencers and streamers uh, who will show it off, uh, I presume, uh, and be able to test it out and kind of tell the public what they think of it. And then it will be uh, kind of shown or, or made accessible to a few D&D Beyond subscribers. I'm not sure what they mean by, like, I'm not sure how you get into be one of the lucky few, um, but it sounds like definitely a sort of closed beta period uh, like a video game would have. Um, I'm going to read a bit more of this, but They should do a golden ticket lottery. They should put golden <laughs> tickets in their, I don't know, <laughs> books that they sell. <laughs> well, it's in the mimics. Me, like, oh, in uh, the mimics. You know, in the mimics. Mm-hmm. In the mimics. They yeah. have a function now. <laughs> yes. It seems to me like there's a non-zero chance that at least one member of the lore cast will get their hands on this virtual tabletop uh, before public release. So, I mean, <laughs> there is a fun bonus bit of content if we can make it happen. Um, yeah, I'm that tallying cool. up in my head which of us has the most friends at Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yeah. telling in my head who's <laughs> the most streamer of us. Oh, well, you know what I was just thinking would be cool to see? I would love to see someone do like a, a short run campaign where each session they try out a different virtual tabletop and in oh, the mix uh-huh. do the D&D official virtual tabletop. Just, you know, put them back to back to back, see which ones are the most intuitive for players coming in, you know, completely, completely fresh. Will the VTT have other systems such as Black Flag? And the answer was, if you want to do things manually, okay, so this kind of ties into what I was saying before. If you want to do things manually, you can do whatever you want. So anything that has dice and miniatures, <laughs> but it won't have the D&D automation. There will be more ability to homebrew rules. Yeah, that I makes mean, sense. Respectfully. Again, if you homebrew on D&D Beyond, you know that it's basically just that you write words and it will display those words on the character sheet. It doesn't know how to do any of the functions. I'm, I'm going to be a little mean jokingly, but like, come on. What did you expect him to say, guy who asked that question? This is <laughs> not. No, no, no. They are very fine to ask that question. It's good to get that clarification. I'm just going to just, mm-hmm. I'm just being hey, mean. Hey, Pizza Hut, can I buy Coke at your store? Uh, sir, we're owned by Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, want I mean, Coke, this, that ties into... That that ties into the idea of their word around authenticity, because it sounded to me when they were saying it in the D&D Direct, what did they say? Fun, accessibility or convenience, I think was the word they used. Uh, and those two are like, yeah, the virtual tabletop should be fun. And it's aiming to be convenient, especially for people geographically isolated. But the authenticity word jumped out at me as that sort of phrase, which is like, you could play D&D on, a, on another virtual tabletop. You could play D&D with just your pen and paper. But if you want the authentic D&D experience, this is where you come for true authenticity. And so that, it, it kind of sounded like uh, fun, convenience, and uh, we need a, th- a third thing. What, what's the authenticity? Yeah, that sounds good. Let's throw that on there. Like it just, it, it sounded really markety speechy to me. If I mean, they're going to promise authenticity, they better give us the real magic missile. 
<laughs> None of this stuff we saw earlier. This is a deal breaker. <laughs> None of these off-brand magic missiles. Yeah. Uh, full cream, baby. Uh, <laughs> Lexington 005 in chat brought up something uh, very interesting, which is that if they make D&D as a default online game and not a pen and paper in-person RPG, then it's easier to control how people get into the game. And I do think that that is an interesting um, observation, particularly in terms of if you want to control the kind of uh, interactions new players have with this game, if you want new players to watch the movie, get excited, I'm going to come and try out D&D, you can't control the variable of who their dungeon master is. But if that dungeon master is is running the game via your virtual tabletop, which is integrated with D&D Beyond, you have a little bit more control of what that game is going to look like uh, if, if they do decide to uh, sort of knuckle down on some of the, the rules and mechanics, which, sure. I mean, is why it's a little bit interesting that it doesn't look like they super are. Well, I mean, I've heard so many horror stories about very excited new D&D players getting absolutely getting their dreams crushed by the worst DMs imaginable. I can understand yeah. why they might want to do that, honestly. Uh, hyphen Hedgehog points out that Jim Dark Magic's magic missile is gluten free, though, and that is true. <laughs> yeah, I, I made that spell. Green chickens. I made that spell, and it is gluten free. I, I tested it myself. <laughs> um, oh, I a question that. that got asked uh, during the Digital Creator Con: the VTT was demanding, uh, and we were playing it on Alienware laptops. So I assume this is maybe from someone who was there. What are the specs? Um, and the answer was can't answer now, uh, which mm. is interesting uh, because that that is a big question is what what is the if if the intention of this is to be convenient and accessible. And this is something that Dante and I have mm-hmm. debated um, back and forth or, or pondered upon with each other is is this going to be if it's running on Unreal? Do you need a gaming PC? Does everybody at your table need a gaming PC to be able to run this thing? Right. Or is it enough? Uh, to or is it streamed sort of, you know, um, by wizards and you're just playing it in the cloud? Um, how, right. how is that going to function? Because I remember early lockdown, I tried, I think it was Astral Virtual Tabletop was one of the first ones that I went to. The problem with Astral is everybody needed a good computer to be able to run Astral and stay in the the Zoom call that we had up at the same time. So it actually kind of almost right. became a barrier to being able to play as opposed to a convenience. So that's going to be, I think, a big question that um, as they develop yeah, who's, it. Who's hosting the server, questions like that. I mean, when uh, it's my understanding, this could be totally wrong, but it's my understanding that a game in alpha is almost always inevitably going to eat up a lot of RAM while you're running sure. it. Yeah. Um, so we probably, they, they probably just don't know the answer yet in terms of what the final um version is going is going to require but it is interesting th- visual effects like rain that you can turn on and off and and lighting effects and all these these visually uh enticing things presumably will lead up a lot and then you're right running a a you know a voice call or a video call at the same time is going to be very demanding on a system so you know maybe including an in-game uh voice chat option is something that would mm-hmm. be nice to see. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because it's 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 sometimes already hard enough to get the voice call tech side of things to work if you're playing online. Will there be functions similar to apps like GoDice slash Bluetooth Dice 
and the answer as written was, yeah, sure. <laughs> but the, I'm not sure if that was the actual tone that it was given him, but that's how I've read it. He's like, oh, yeah, why not? Um, somebody <laughs> yeah, in the sure. chat, uh, ooh, Dro- Drogo Mistweave. Sorry, it took me a second to be able to read that from across this table. Drogo Mistweave has asked about price. And they did say something about that. And the answer was, when you start something, you have to think about monetization. Right now, focuses on play. We're talking about those things, coming up with ideas. People don't switch to pay-to-play products. Playing the game is what immerses people together. There will be a download which allows people to play. Would love to answer more, um, but this is all I can share at the moment. Mysterious. It is a little bit. It also raises the question... Uh, is it enough for one person to purchase it? Like, will there be like a DM code similar to D&D Beyond and now everybody has access to it or will everybody need to purchase their surely copy? That, surely that's the only way to go. It's it's so ingrained, right? <laughs> Even in the role of the DM, you're the one who pays for everything. It's- yeah, <laughs> but 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 they'd be trying to monetize their whole audience, right? That's the whole like problem well, of sure. monetization they're, of role playing games. Spot. And even even D and D Beyond does have the DM tier subscription where you can give players access to everything. But there's still the player tier subscription. Correct me if I'm wrong. You still need to pay for at least a base level D and D Beyond subscription to have more than five players, uh, five characters created at any one time. Five or six, something like that. So it wouldn't surprise well, me if there's like um, tiers of That's of not necessarily true. Um, oh, okay. At least it hasn't been in the past because I have had friends say, hey, Joey, can you make a new campaign and invite me to it so I can make another free character in it? Ooh, <laughs> game the system. Yeah. So definitely there's there's some element of, of DMs giving content to the players or the player subscription tier is not necessarily needed because any okay. character in a campaign is counted against the DM, not against its creator. That's uh, the the D&D Beyond version of sharing your Netflix password. Yeah, 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 yeah 100%. <laughs> totally. We've got um, the Cosmic Postman in chat says, uh, I know the idea of a VTT is the visual expression, but if you want to keep the evocative feel and not be entirely prescriptive with super detailed graphics that are also demanding, why not go with a pixel sprite art style like FTL or similar? And this is interesting to me. I don't think they're going to do it. I understand why you wouldn't. But I was thinking while specifically while watching D&D Direct and watching the virtual tabletop, I was thinking, wouldn't it be so cool if you had a dedicated virtual tabletop that was just in some kind of a sketchy or watercolor 2D art style and you have isometric maps so you can do it with just the 2D art and, you know, build it all so that it's, you know, it's not fancy 3D, but it's evocative uh, visually. And I think that's going to have to be up to some third party company to do a really cool uh visually directed virtual tabletop because i would love to see it yeah that's the would sort you of call thing that, that sounds- vague and evocative dale <laughs> i would call that vague and evocative i would be wearing a vague and evocative shirt right now but last night i actually wore my vague and evocative shirt and my vague and evocative jumper so they're in the wash <laughs> well bearded weird uh, also chimed in with with that so good job <laughs> both of you i, full, full I wonder this conversation makes me wonder if um, mods in the way that we understand them in say like Skyrim will be available oh. for this because that's something I could see being a graphical overhaul mod that would, that be... would just do gangbusters. Can you imagine if they opened this virtual tabletop to, you know, mod workshopping? Like I, just- I think oh they God. said they 
I think they said they would. Uh, <gasps> if you if you scan now, I don't want to promise this before we find the That's answer, exciting. but I'm going to scan it on my end, Dale. If you can have a look on your okay. end. I'm finding marketplace, but I'm not entirely sure. Maybe that that's what are... I'm thinking of. Well, let us jump forward because we've only got a little bit of time left in this episode of the Lawcast. Let us just jump to the the final part of the D and D Direct, which was actually about D and D the game, where they kind of ran through their Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase Four version of what the adventure books coming out in the next little while are going to look like. Let's start with Keys from the Golden Vault. Next, we'll marvel at wondrous legends and giant civilizations in the book Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants. After that, we'll further explore the mystery of the obelisks that have cropped up in so many of our adventures. Fandelver and Below, the Shattered Obelisk. Next up is Planescape. Adventures in the Multiverse, the deck of many things, Vecna as an otherworldly monster. But this villain's true cosmic horror will be unleashed in 2024 with a world-hopping adventure. I'm psyched for Vecna and Red Wizards. Vecna was the villain in my first ever D&D campaign. I love him. Red Wizards. Uh, I, I love the Red Wizards. I've been wanting a Red Wizards adventure since uh, they showed up as kind of a sidekick hero enemy of my enemy hero in Rise of Tiamat back at the beginning of 5e. They rock. I love them. Let's see more. I was the thing from there that I was the most excited about was the the Red Wizards of Thay, which is new for me because again, I don't know the lore. I think this is a byproduct of the movie perhaps. Anyway, I was excited at the concept and then I realized that it was so far in the future. This is why I hate <laughs> announcements of announcements. Just l tell me about it when it's happening, because I got excited and now I have to wait. If you had given me this list two years ago and I had not said Planescape is going to just be the most incredible thing, I, I, I wouldn't have believed that me now is not saying Planescape because it's just so much stuff being pushed at us. I want to see the simplest thing. I want the simplest thing to be cool. I want the Fandelver and below adventure. I want to see what they do with this with, with the one D and D play test going on and with all the other products and all the marketing swirling around, it's hard to get excited for this huge amount of information and product being pushed at you when you can mm. barely get your group together once a month to play. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm excited uh, by all of it, but I I need to step back and drink from a straw rather than from the fire hose. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lesson here as well for people producing content. I, I Across the board, I'm thinking of video games like Assassin's Creed. I'm thinking of movies like the Marvel movies. They're better if you give breathing time in between. I know that you want the money. I know it's exciting, but just take your time and make good products because if you give people room to breathe, I think you end up with a, a longer lasting, more exciting line of products. Yeah. Sword Compass also brings up a good point that in the Adventures League, the Red Wizards have been a huge storyline. Um, there mm -hmm. is a whole separate campaign called Dreams of the Red Wizards that deal with the red wizards and uh the announcement that they made was like and finally we are going to give you this red wizards thing that we yet you haven't seen a lot of and you know the adventures league folks are like dude we've been playing that for like the last two and a half years uh and it's been pretty cool 
That's so funny. Also, I mean, the timing is hilarious in terms of the movie as well, that you're going to have all these new players who are like, I want to fight Vecna or the Demogorgon, like from Stranger Things. I want to fight the Red Wizards like we see in the movie. And they're like, okay, well, if you just wait for two years. (laughs) Yeah, see, I I, I was, this uh, to me feels like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Because if they released it immediately on the tail of the movie, I'd be like, oh, cash grab, cash in, <laughs> absolutely preying upon new movie viewers. To be honest, I kind of like the fact that uh, it's clear that they're thinking in, in you know, parallel lines, but they're taking their time with it. They're not being yeah. like, and now a marketable connection. We're going to call it Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus because Baldur's Gate 3 <laughs> just got announced. <laughs> Uh, speaking of product yeah. fatigue um, and and product bloat, uh, which Arendelle is is commenting on in the chat as well, uh, the the sort of mild opposite argument is that they're also providing kind of something for everyone. No, you can't be expected to necessarily play all of these adventures, but if you love giants, you know maybe you're really hyped for Big B presents Glory of the Giants because you're like, finally, I've wanted to do like a a giants theme campaign, and now I'm going to have more tools to be able to make that campaign, or if you're jazzed for the red wizards then you're like yes awesome i'm gonna get some red wizards content and i'm really excited for that the interesting thing here that's different is the way that they seem to be trying to which was my perception of 5e initially which was i'll i'll tell everybody what i'm talking about um my brain's firing off so quickly you when when the early adventures of 5e were being released my impression was uh, Storm King's Thunder, um, uh, Tomb of Annihilation, uh, even like Rime of the Frostmaiden, I think all these Forgotten Realms set adventures were kind of happening on a loose timeline that you could stitch together and could be one adventure because there, there were references in Tomb of Annihilation to like, there are some frost giants here like wandering around looking for Arbus Simba, Arbus Simba, that dude. Um they don't really have much to do with this adventure, but they have to do with this other supplement adventure that you can then use as adventure hooks to draw your players across to play that adventure, like in the same universe, which I thought was really cool, but then seemed to kind of fall off a little bit as they started exploring other settings and other things. I also things. think it fell off when they decided that every adventure they <clears throat> published was going to be from levels three to seven or whatever they decided you know and curiously um i think i can pinpoint the time that it happened um waterdeep dragon heist originally had a specific year in the forgotten realms calendar that did not make it to the final print version intriguing Um, that seems to me the inflection point of uh, we don't want a meta plot in the forgotten realms we don't want an ongoing timeline these should be used as you see fit. In fact, you might even want to imagine that the realms isn't experiencing a world-ending threat every month and create your own canon here. It's also much better, easier, if you are doing, say, movies and TV series set in the Forgotten Realms, uh, not to have to pin everything down uh, and then get people going online and saying, well, technically, this character is in two places at once because they're in this adventure and also in this TV series. And you end up you know, with, off with yeah. their heads. You end up with your problem like the uh, the Dragon Age tabletop RPG has like 
a whole section of the book dedicated to, okay, you have to pick a time that you're playing your game in. You have to pick a, a, a setting date because right, yeah. it changes depending on uh, on where you are in that timeline from the canon. I do think it's also interesting, this idea of, you know, um, trying to spread your net wide to, to get a book out there for everyone, for their interests, because this goes back to what we were talking about during sort of the OGL crisis is this idea that Wizards of the Coast are never going to be able to make a book for everyone and any book that they make is not going to appeal to everyone. So that's the tricky thing with publishing adventure books or setting books. And that's where things like third-party publishers come in clutch because they can be like, well, I freaking love giants. So I'm going to be the the person who provides you with your giant-themed adventure. I love this, like, location in you know and and you can have your grim hollows right you don't have to make your adventure that is that is catering to that specific genre love within the audience because there are people there to pick up the slack and there's a whole community and industry based around it um so it i yeah as much as i understand the drive to like we got to get more books out because none of these are going to make a huge amounts of money so we got to spread out uh i i don't know man (laughs) Leave yeah. something uh, for third parties. Well, the other interesting thing is that the way that they're trying to connect this now again, like it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's hard enough to keep up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and their two-hour, three-hour movies. And if you haven't seen the TV show, you're not going to know what's going on in Doctor Strange. Also, I have a thing to say about this when the movie comes up. Okay, cool. Uh, Speaking of which, we are running a little bit behind time, so I am going to close out this episode of the Eldritch Lawcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed. Go, Dale, go. I I, I found what I think might be the reference that we were talking about in the document. There are other things that I would love to say, but I'll just have to say them another time. But um, this document is fascinating, by the way. Thank you, Ghostfire Insider, who sent this information. (laughs) Um, But there was a question about the path for D&D Beyond to support homebrew, including the virtual tabletop, which I think kind of has underneath the answer the implication of broader sort of of mod style stuff. And they say, we haven't got there in terms of strategy. The high level is that they want... Uh, the virtual tabletop to be an ecosystem. Interesting choice of words. Not 100% right. sure how it works, but they're, they're definitely sort of looking in that direction by the sense of things. That's cool. it. I, th- it no, sounds thank you like um, we're going to have a field day breaking down this document in the next Lorecast too. Not to not to spoil everything now, you know. And we'll this have more us- from the summit by then. Yeah, that is true for a very specific reason, but I will keep that a secret until next week. Um, uh, until then, you can find the Eldritch Lawcast on the device you are listening to it now, undoubtedly, um, where where all good podcasts can be found. We're on YouTube. If you've listened to us, for, uh, we, if, if you're listening on YouTube, you should consider subscribing. That would be great. Um, and we'd really appreciate that because we're back every week. With another episode of the Lawcast, my name is Ben Byrne here with Dale Kingsmill, Sean Merwin, James Hake, and we will be back next week. But if you're listening to the Twitch stream, we will also be back in five minutes because we're going to take a very quick, maybe two-minute break, uh, and then we'll be back talking all about the D&D movie. It is a spoiler cast. If you haven't seen the D&D movie yet, uh, maybe go see that instead. Uh, But there will be a YouTube version of it as well so you're not going to miss out either way um uh, we'll be right back thanks everyone (laughs) 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 thank you (laughs) all right see you in two